When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insider perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and epic, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge, task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 104, and we're recording on May 13th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about anime, which I am excited about because I'm a noob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about it. But um, I used to watch a lot of anime when I was younger, like in high school and middle school. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it's always funny to come back to it because it's been such a long time. Yeah. And we picked the theme because it feels like we touch on it an awful lot, but we have never done a show just about it. We did we did do a show on manga and also some anime, but it felt like time for a whole episode. So here we are. Yes. And we chose two show well one series and one film that we'll be talking about so uh we'll get into that soon but before we talk about news and about anime i'm going to tell you about our first sponsor which is ireland inc and ben ireland this is billy blacksmith the demon slayer by ben ireland available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com Billy is a pretty normal kid, though taller and chubbier than most. His favorite things in the world are cupcakes, baseball, and his best friends, Ashley and Grayson, though not necessarily in that order. One night, a 300-pound sword-wielding spider emerged from under his bed intent on drinking his blood. His day goes down from there. Billy has to embrace his demonic powers in order to stop an invasion of monster spiders destroying his town. But he might lose it if he does. So Billy Blacksmith is described as being for fans of Percy Jackson and Harry Dresden. If you love adventure and need something to fall in love with while you're waiting for the next Dresden Files, you can check out Billy Blacksmith, The Demon Slayer. Again, that's by Ben Ireland. It's already bad enough when a spider is 300 pounds. Why do you have to give it a sword, too? <laughs> I know. I know. A sword healing spider is a right nightmare. There. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Do not, do not like. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to get into some news, and it looks like I'm up first. And I've got uh, a couple of adaptation news bites to start with. Uh, one of them is really quick because it's really just in development. But the bigger story that I saw came from Deadline, and this is from Justin Kroll, who reported on the news that Regina King is going to direct Bitterroot, which is an image comic series, and it's being adapted for Legendary. And this comic series, I've seen it around uh, Bitterroot, but I haven't read it. But it sounds really great and like it is one of those stories that's perfect for adaptation or for the screen. So it's set during the Harlem Renaissance in 1924. And there's this family of monster hunters who used to be really great. And they face an unimaginable evil that descends on New York City. 
And so this family is not only fending off supernatural forces, but these are supernatural forces that feed off the prejudice of this era and transform human beings into hideous monsters, which kind of put me in the mind of like the most recent uh, P. Jelly Clark book that came out, Ring, mm. Ring Shout, and um, stories in that vein, which sounds really fascinating and timely, of course. And that Regina King is going to be involved in its adaptation is really exciting news. Uh, Regina King just directed One Night in Miami, which got a lot of praise. Um, I saw it everywhere, and it's on my to-watch list, but it sounds like it was really, really amazing. And she's also won the 2019 Best Supporting Actress Oscar for another adaptation, If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, so she just sounds like the perfect fit for this story. And I feel like I should probably get to reading this comic series. Um, and the other bit of news that's really quick is also from Deadline. This one reported on by Amanda Nduka. And I just had to talk about this, even though I haven't read the book yet, but it was on my most anticipated list for the top of the year, uh, which is The Conductors, which is a book by Nicole Glover. Queen Latifah is now attached with Flavor Unit Entertainment and Jim Henson Company to adapt this book. And I just think it's fascinating because more and more we hear about books, it seems like they're being snatched up for adaptation like just before they come out or long before they come out. And I think this is really exciting because it's a debut novel. So I'm sure it's a, a hugely exciting moment for Nicole Glover. And I just like seeing Queen Latifah attached to anything, especially with Jim Henson Company, <laughs> which very unexpected. So both of those stories just brought me a lot of joy this week. Yeah, just agreement on all of the above. <laughs> I have nothing to add other than hooray for everyone involved. And now they have to, these books have to shoot to the top of my list, which is going to be. Yeah, yeah. It's a good yeah. time to bump them up. Yeah. Well, speaking of books that we need to bump up to our lists, to the top of our lists, uh, let's talk about the Locust Award finalists, which were recently yes. announced. So the voting was done between February 1st and April 15th um, from an open public ballot, which somehow I missed. I totally would have voted in those if I had known. I, did I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> so but they've announced the finalists. The winners will be announced in June during the virtual awards weekend. But I looking at these finalist lists, I feel so behind. Let me tell you, <laughs> like, this is one of those times where I'm like, I some of these books I haven't even heard of, which feels wrong, just very wrong. But here we are. Uh, I, you know, even in the category, I would expect myself to know the most about which are the uh, science fiction and fantasy novel categories. I'm just like, what now? Say what now? How did I know about that book? So I have a lot of catching up to do, clearly. It's uh, it's an interesting looking list, certainly. There are, of course, some names I recognize. Um, Elizabeth Bear, William Gibson, you know, Martha Wells. We've got, who else in here? N.K. Jemison, of course, mm -hmm. Tamsin Muir, C.L. Polk, Rebecca Roanhorse. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of usual suspects. But there are enough on here that I'm just like, oh, I, I missed that one entirely. Uh, that I'm, I'm going to have to do some homework. Um, one nomination that I was a little bit surprised and delighted by was that Maria Devana Headley's new translation of Beowulf is a finalist in the horror novel category, Ooh. which I just am like... It just I Like I said, I find, I find it delightful <laughs> because I don't know that I've ever heard anybody consider Beowulf horror before, although I would completely agree. Yeah. And I would not expect to see a classic epic poem translation turn up in the Locus Awards. Like, that's just not something I was expecting. I will say that I have read and loved the stuffing out of this translation. It is so enjoyable because Maria 
entwines like pop culture, like meme language and all kinds of fun sort of contemporary Easter eggs, but that are completely they work. They absolutely work to capture the spirit of the original because this is like. A a bar story. Beowulf is a bar story in its, you know, origination. And her take on it is just a delight. So, I yeah, I'm just so surprised to see it on here. That's really exciting. Yeah, I haven't read that one and was really curious about how she was going to approach it. So I am really interested in seeing how that one places and happy to see that on the list. And I am 100% in agreement about not recognizing some of these books. I think especially in like the science fiction novel category, that's Mm -hmm. really where I missed a lot of these. I will admit that I have not been reading a lot of, uh, you know, male authors lately and so I missed a lot of these books. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty male and it's pretty white. Yeah. actually, looking at it, so that that is probably part of it. Yeah, that was like my low key shade, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say it. I know. I'll just say it. <laughs> it's fine. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Uh, but the fantasy novel one looks great. Like I'm really excited about some of those titles, and because I've been reading horror so much lately for some strange reason, my eyes gravitated to that section. And I definitely have some of these books on my list, like Plain Bad Heroines, which I keep hearing about by Emily mm-hmm. M. Danforth, uh, as well as The Deep by Alma Katsu. Like I really, really want to read that. Um, but there are some really great books there if you are also a big horror novel fan. And um, the novella category, of course, I felt like I was being read because those are the that's the category <laughs> where I recognize a lot of the titles. And I'm like, oh, I've been reading a lot of novellas and a lot of horror and uh, not much else. So it's time to expand my reading catalog, uh, catalog for the year. But um, this is a great. There are a lot of great ones on this list as a whole, so I would definitely check it out and see what you might have missed like we did. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of good things to poke around at. Uh, I have, oh, my news is all like adaptation news, so pardon me, but this looks really exciting, and we've talked about The Green Knight before. Uh, starring Dev Patel, and we just got news that there is another trailer out. This one is a, a longer trailer. It's I think we got a teaser before. This one's you know over two minutes, and I was just slack jawed watching the whole thing because it looks so spectacular and mm-hmm. so dramatic. And so dark. (laughs) I was just like, I have to watch this. The costuming is amazing. The effects look great. And like, I'm only watching a snippet of Dev Patel's performance, but it's already very compelling. So I was just jazzed watching this whole trailer and I got the chills like I have not had in a long time watching a trailer so i'm really excited about this adaptation of this truly old story um and i'm sure you are as well jen oh my god i can't i like slack jot is the right word for the impact of this trailer like it is so i don't know that i've ever seen a trailer this good to be perfectly honest like I cannot remember the last time I saw a trailer that made me this excited about a movie and yeah it is it's an it's an adaptation of Gawain and the Green Knight with Dave Patel as Gawain which is first of all like a brilliant bit of casting amazing Mm -hmm. and Everything about it looks incredible. The effects look really cool. The Green Knight is this massive, like, Ent-ish, you know, but, like, horror Ent. It's like a horror Ent. Yeah, horror Ent. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's so sinister. It's definitely got, I think, some horror vibes. I remember, actually, the original teaser 
I was like, this is a horror movie. Like, it's been a minute since I watched it, but I remember it being so sinister. And I think you really see the ways that that's coming out in this trailer as well, which, again, I love. Like, I love that that is the vibe that they've decided to emphasize in this retelling because, you know, so many of these Arthurian legend retellings are all about, like, heroism and bravery Mm. and, like, you know, it's sort of, like... Good versus evil, which is, it's fine. But to bring this new sort of, you know, creepier vibe out of Arthurian legends, which is not generally what folks choose to do, I think is really exciting. So, yeah, yeah, I'm already trying to figure out, like, how will I see it? I know, it's in theaters. <laughs> I, I need it in my eyeballs. Like, how long will it take for it to stream? Will somebody do it at a drive-in? Like, how can I see it? Because I'm going to need to see it uh, as soon as possible. It looks amazing. Yeah, I have to as well. It's in theaters July 30th. Uh, but hopefully because of things like I I don't know if we're going to be in a place by July 30th where everybody feels comfortable being in like a packed theater or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I'm hoping that it'll at least go to streaming in some way by a certain time, even if I have to like pay a little for it, you know? Yeah, like, I will I pay. Totally... I will absolutely pay the cost of a theater ticket yeah. to stream this on the internet, like a hundred percent. This is going to be the theme of this summer, though, because the new Fast and Furious movie also comes of out course. this summer. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, how? I literally am considering paying the money to rent out a theater so I can watch that's it. That's a good idea. I feel like you could get some people to chip in on that one. So, well, that's part of the problem is that all of my fellow fans don't live here, so oh, <laughs> there are people who like might want to go but they're not going to want to pay that much money to go with me so I might just be buying myself a theater we'll see what happens (laughs) I'm start saving up now Uh, okay, right. So we do have one more newsy story to discuss, and that is, speaking of movies, there is going to be a Dragon Ball movie coming in 2022. Uh, Polygon reported on it um, by Austin Goslin, and I couldn't resist dropping this into the agenda, even though it's like there's not a lot of information because we're we're talking about anime yeah. today, and this this is such a touch point for so many people. Dragon Ball, like the whole Dragon Ball universe. And it's funny because I am very aware of it, but I have never, I don't know that I've ever actually sat down and watched a full episode. Like when I was in high school, I definitely had tons of friends who were watching it religiously. Like it was The Simpsons, it was Dragon Ball Z, you know, it was like those were the things that everybody was watching. And for whatever reason, I mean, my TV was very strictly controlled by my parents for a good (laughs) chunk of my life. So I don't know that they actually would have had an issue with Dragon Ball Z, but like I just didn't watch that much TV uh, in in various iterations. So I just sort of never, I, I still don't know if I would like it or not. I haven't watched enough of it to know, but I'm like, I know some I know the characters names. I like have, you know, seen a million billion gifs of it on the internet. Like I am familiar in that way that you just can't help but be if you're in certain circles. Uh and so so this news is that it's part of the Dragon Ball Super timeline, which is the sequel series to Dragon Ball Z. Um but it's not a direct sequel to the 2018 movie, which was the last theatrical release for the franchise. Mm. And uh, the series creator has been teasing, you know, there's an unexpected character, the animation is going to be amazing, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I'm sure there's a ton of folks who are super excited. Sharifa, do you, are you a Dragon Ball fan? I had exactly the same experience as you with Dragon Ball that I knew a lot of people who were super into it. But I think it's kind of interesting that they talk about, I mean, they sort of insinuate that there's going to be some changes to the visual aesthetics. And Mm. one of the reasons I never really got into it was because I was very like, (laughs) as a high schooler, snotty about my anime aesthetics. And for whatever reason, like the look of Dragon Ball never appealed to me. Like, interesting. I never really found it aesthetically pleasing. Um, And so I just never really 
thought to give it a chance, but I'm curious about how they're going to change up the animation, if it's just going to be like some slight changes nobody will notice about the aesthetics. But I mean, I'm past the point of being so particular, so I would I would give it a chance. But this is like the first time I've thought about Dragon Ball in a really long time. So it (laughs) felt like a blast from the past. Yeah, I have like a very specific set of associations with Dragon Ball in my head, and they're all from like 1997. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's our news segment. And uh, so lots of things to look forward to. Uh, Let's see. Let's do another sponsor, and then we'll really get into anime. Mm -hmm. So our next sponsor is Son of the Storm by Suyi Davies Okungboa, read by Corey Jackson. This is the audiobook from one of the most exciting new storytellers in epic fantasy. Son of the Storm is a sweeping tale of violent conquest and forgotten magic set in a world inspired by the pre-colonial empires of West Africa. In the ancient city of Basa, Danso is a clever scholar on the cusp of achieving greatness, only he doesn't want it. Instead, he prefers to chase forbidden stories about what lies outside the city walls. The Basai elite claim there is nothing of interest. The city's immigrants are sworn to secrecy. But when Danso stumbles across a warrior-wielding magic that shouldn't exist, he's put on a collision course with Basa's darkest secrets. Drawn into the city's hidden history, he sets out on a journey beyond its borders and and the chaos left in the wake of his discovery threatens to destroy the empire. Dun, dun, dun. So this is the first book in the Nameless Republic trilogy. And this is perfect for listeners that loved the audiobook version of Rage of Dragons by Evan Winters, for example, which is a book that we have talked about on the show. Great book. And I've been hearing great things about uh, this author. So... Again, this is the audiobook Son of the Storm by Suyi Davies Okungboa and read by Corey Jackson. And it is on sale starting on May 11th, so well before you will be hearing this, uh, wherever audiobooks are sold. Cool. All right. So, Sharifa, so here, let's tell the people how we did this. <laughs> so, I said, let's do an episode on anime. And then I was like, you have to pick. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to talk about. And so and so you came to me with a list that we narrowed it down from together. How did you put that list together? Well, I was at first I was like, oh, this is exciting. Let me like pull out all the old favorites. And then I was like, oh, boy, I do not remember if a lot of my old favorites had tons of problematic elements. Mm. Because this is a thing with anime that I... I wasn't like fully aware of when I was watching it as a younger person um, is that some of the older stuff has a lot of like stereotyping. Um, They were definitely doing some stereotyping of, you know, people who aren't often seen in Japan. Like I remember how some black characters were depicted and Americans of all sorts of ethnicities and nationalities and things like that. So I I kind of went back to the drawing board and scrapped all of the stuff I would normally put on the list and tried to think about some stuff that I either knew I had seen recently and really enjoyed and or um, that other people among our Book Riot contributor core really enjoyed and recommended. And then I also looked, because I realized this was another issue that I hadn't really considered before, I was looking for more women who were behind the Mm. scenes and involved in anime. And that was a really big challenge because there were not many, to be honest. And um, finding women directors and screenwriters within science fiction and fantasy anime like narrowed it down even more but i'm really happy with the two we came up with because one is completely new to me uh i literally just watched it yesterday and (laughs) the other one is a series i really really love and that i've watched i think as recently as I don't know, eight or 10 months ago. So I was really excited to hear about what you thought of 
our science fiction pick, and I was really excited to watch a new anime film that is both directed and written by a woman, and that is totally new to me. So what did you think of how we, how, where we landed? Yeah, I I really like that we ended up on these two because they're so different in so many ways. It's kind of fascinating, actually, yeah. to think about the differences in style, the differences in storytelling. Like, they really could not be more different in in those ways and uh yeah so i i am i am excited to dig into them it was an interesting experience also because i like i've just not seen that much anime and i had a very sort of particular idea about what it's like mm. in my head which turns out to be untrue because it's based on like not very much information. Yeah. <laughs> so it was nice to get my assumptions about anime exploded. Uh, is is how I will put that. So so let's let's talk about the fantasy pick first. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about that one first. So let's talk about we watched Makia when or excuse me, it's pronounced Makia. I'm like remembering it now in my head. Makia <laughs> when the promised flower blooms, mm. which as Sharifa said is uh, both directed and written by Mari Okada, a woman in anime who is, they're not very common, it turns out. Yeah. (laughs) And this is like a fantasy sort of medieval world where there are these, there's this one group of people called the Yorf who are basically immortal as far as, I mean, they can be killed, but they don't age. They don't, like, they age extremely slowly. Um, It appears that they're, for all intents and purposes, immortal. And they're they're weavers, they make this special cloth, and their sort of village is raided by these uh, military folks from a neighboring kingdom, Mazart, who kidnap them for reasons that, like, were not 100% clear to me to be perfectly yeah. Other than, other than like, because they had they have this immortality. Like people want what they have somehow, even though it's not like you can just like take it. It was it was a little unclear to me what the goal of that raid was. To be perfectly honest, um, and Makia e- escapes, but is like separated from her whole group and can't get back. And then ends up finding a baby who has is like is has is the only survivor of another raid and is with its dead family so she adopts the baby and like this is very much a story about what it means to be a parent when you don't age at the same rate as your child mm-hmm. like this is one of the first things i was thinking about is like this goes to places that i just was not expecting it to go like it gets grisly and kind of weird, like uncomfortably weird <laughs> in certain moments. So, like, for example, when Makia finds the baby that she ends up naming Ariel, he is being held by his dead mother and his, like, mother's grip is, you know, oh, she's, like, yeah. in rigor mortis. She's dead. So she has to break the fingers on the hand to get the baby free. And I'm still, like, just cringing thinking <laughs> about it. That was a particularly rough scene. I was, I've seen, there are a lot of like uncomfortable and strange moments I've come across in anime specifically. And for like the sound effects sometimes are like, whoa, (laughs) you really want us to feel this and hear it and like experience it and i was like oh my goodness are we gonna go through every single finger it is so rough uh yeah and it gets really dark in places for sure and i felt like this whole movie was one punch to the heart after another Mm -hmm. it was very emotional and i am in agreement about it how it goes to some unexpected places i because i 
I didn't really want to look too much into what the story was about. I wanted to leave some of it as a surprise. I truly came into this thinking it was going to be a love story of some kind, <laughs> like a romance. And I was Whoops. like, oh, and they're talking about how, you know, don't fall in love or don't fall for anybody if you leave our community mm-hmm. of, you know, separate people the clan of the separated Uh, and i was like oh she's gonna you know meet some person some love interest out there in the world and i was just like blown away that this was a story about you know motherhood and about the challenges of that and being like a single mom basically who always looks like she's 15 and the grief that would be involved in raising a kid and the kid finding out that you're not biologically related and that, you know, questioning her as his mom, which was really sad and distressing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just like completely taken by surprise with this story, but I also thought it was really significant um, that it was written by a woman and directed by a woman because those moments I'm not a mom myself but you know like I remember having these moments with my own mom and they felt like so real like the impact a child's words can make on a parent and how they can really sting and cut and tear you down like those moments felt very real and poignant And I was just like, oh, please, I just need like a break from the (laughs) sorrows of this story. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's so I was like crying more than once. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, this is bringing me to tears. Like, I just can't. It's so intense. And then, of course, you do have this adventure sort of plot line because the ruler of Mezart is like a terrible, awful, kind of like idiot dude uh like a bumbling ruler and uh they force another young yorf woman to marry the prince and like her story man is also a story about motherhood and is really rough really i mean she has to bear an unwanted child and then she's forbidden from seeing her daughter and just imprisoned and like there are all of these attempts to save her that don't work out for various reasons and like There's like, you know, uh, depression and violence and just all kinds of really heavy things. And what I kind of loved about this movie is that it didn't pull any of those punches. It wasn't like, but it's all fine. Like, it's not fine. Like, these characters are really scarred by the things that they have gone through. And you see the results of that in their lives and in the choices they make and and the way they handle uh, their interactions with other people. And And, like, there are all of these things, kind of like you, that I expected to happen. Like, oh, storytelling tropes. Like, in one of the scenes, you get this sort of bandit, you know, guy who seems like Mm. he's going to be the plucky comic relief. And then he disappears and, like, doesn't really show up again in the whole movie except for randomly. But, like, he's never on screen for more than a couple minutes. And I'm like, if this was, I I, I mean, if it was a story like I'm expecting it to be a story, he would constantly be dropping, you know, comedic levity to balance out the weight of everything else but that's not what happens so yeah this 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 really blew up so many of my expectations i want to talk about the art for a minute too because what i thought was so interesting about this style is that the people are actually the least detailed thing in the whole movie Mm -hmm. like the background art and illustration is stunning like the attention to detail is just amazing i mean i just i would like i was my uh, my breath was taken away by some of the the shots of scenery in particular in this movie but the people like you know some of them like just barely even have a suggestion of a nose yeah and their bodies aren't super detailed and i just thought it was a really interesting choice yeah it sort of made me want to like look at what the budget for this was because I was like, <laughs> how much time was spent on these oh my gosh the scenery drawings because it was yeah, it was super detailed and 
really like the style itself was I mean it spoke to my high school anime watching heart but I definitely never watched anything this stunning before mm. and yeah there are moments it, where like there are some scenes where you're looking at things happening to characters from far away and there are literally moments where like Makia is sliding down a hill and all she is is like a her head is just a circle with some coloring yes. in it and like yeah. some stick legs or whatever. And I'm like, oh, right. it's just suddenly like completely changed. And I'm I'm kind of used to that from other anime where like when they have really uh big moments of expression, like their features completely change and become mm-hmm. almost like, you know, a sort of quick style of animation drawing. Uh yeah. but it was really it was particularly noticeable when, like, it looks like every blade of grass is drawn yes! in great detail with this. It it felt very, it sort of swept me away in, um, in its aesthetic and its style. Yeah. And I also, and I think this is particularly pronounced in contrast to our sci-fi pick, which we'll get to in a bit, but there, there's nothing, like, sexy about mm-hmm. this i didn't think like it didn't feel to me like really any of the characters were highly sexualized which i appreciated a lot yeah you don't that is one thing that you see i well personally i see a lot of in anime where there is a lot of sexualization but there was definitely not that in this. A lot of them, you know, they look like kids. A lot of yeah. the yore for lore for whatever they're called. And they they do not wear a bunch of outfits that are show them scantily clad. It is very in the style of almost a medieval look. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about the, the types of clothes they wear. There's a very sort of romantic medieval venetian look about everything so Mm. you do not get a lot of like you know busty babes in tiny outfits and right (laughs) it was just very as heart-wrenching as the story was in some ways it was relaxing in that it felt like a bit of a a safe space even though there was a lot of terrible stuff happening to the women characters, uh, nothing was also explicitly shown, mm-hmm. which I am also sometimes terrified of encountering yeah. in anime. And I, there was a moment where I was like, okay, I can relax a little because I, I don't feel like this is a story that is about like sexualizing terrible experiences that women have and like being explicit about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really good find. Really good find. I'm so happy we chose this. I truly did not know what we were going to think of it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a big surprise all around. Yeah. Well, should we talk about our science fiction pick? Let's do it. So we chose Cowboy Bebop, and this is a series that I've, again, watched a few times, and Jen has been wanting to watch. And this is science fiction. It's very much like space heists and, you know, bounty hunters, high action, high drama. It's got a crew of travelers on a spaceship called the Bebop, and everybody is very different. Uh, There are lots of colorful characters. Every episode, is chock-a-block full of action and Mm. style and a sort of western noir theme Mm -hmm. and i didn't watch this one like as closely to recording as i did makia but it feels like some of the elements are just emblazoned in my memory forever (laughs) and you are totally right in how different these two uh, anime are from each other because there are definitely some things that I am used to seeing and am sort of eh about with this one. Yeah. Uh, but I love a heist story. I love capers in space and I love 
a, you know, a band of, of, you know, a merry band of weirdos in any sort of story. (laughs) It's a good way to put it. Yeah. But what did you think about it? Well, so it's interesting. So people have been telling me to watch Cowboy Bebop, like, probably since 1998 when it first came out. And uh, I I don't know why I didn't, because it really is. It's exactly all of the things I love, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's a merry band of weirdos in space. It is a space western, which is an aesthetic I love. The aesthetics of this are so strong. I find the animation really interesting, although, side note of problems, which Mm -hmm. we'll get to. uh, But I find the style generally pretty awesome to look at and the pacing is really solid and the characters have a lot of different things going on, which is nice. So like there's tons of goodness about this series and also so like basically I love it and I have problems is my review of having seen the first five episodes of Cowboy Bebop, the TV series. Yeah, I feel Uh, very much the same. Yeah. So like, I, and I think it's important probably to say that like, yeah, this did, this ran like 1998, 1999. So there are some things that are actually probably pretty lightly problematic considering, but mm-hmm. still not great. Um, one of the weirdest notes that I saw was at least twice in the five episodes that I've seen, there was this suggestion of of plastic surgery to turn one person from one race into another. Like that happened two times yeah. in the five episodes. I was just, I was like, oh, that's that's a weird choice. Like that's pretty intense to put in there. And then of course, you know, the depictions of women are like the most cheesecake sex pot, you know, <laughs> scantily cladness of ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's one uh character that's part of the crew Faye whose outfits I am just like are they getting smaller like I I don't know what's going on and it's very like it is uh very sexualized and her whole sort of persona is supposed to be like uh this sort of sensual character and I think I had read that initially she was supposed to be an unattractive character and so i was i've always been curious about how her actual the version of her we see in the series came about um because it's it's very like typical in a way yeah yeah it's it's very interesting uh i mean quote-unquote interesting yeah (laughs) i don't know but you know i do appreciate that like she's a femme fatale and this is noir right so that's you know they are working within a trope and she has a lot of agency and willpower so it's not like all bad right like she's an interesting character she makes a lot of choices for herself and for the people around her and like is not apologetic about them, is definitely not like a damsel in distress, although she is constantly getting handcuffed to things with her arms over her head so that we can get an even better shot of Mm. her bust line. Like, come on now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, my favorite characters in this series, I I actually did like Faye uh, when I watched it initially, but my, my standout characters one of them doesn't even appear i think past the fifth episode unfortunately Mm. i forgot how far into the show um everybody gets introduced because uh jets and spike are there from the beginning jet black and spike and then slowly they start to accrue this crew of Faye and Ein. And the dog. Yeah, I'm my favorite. So I love cute. the space corgi. It's so space great. Corgi. So innocent and cute, this data dog. And then my other favorite is Edward, who I, you know, when I was watching it, I, I assumed that Edward was a little boy, but I was delighted when I later found out that Edward is a girl. Very like androgynous, and I loved that. 
especially in contrast to Faye, um, mm. the ability to sh- depict a, a character as not being sexualized. And Edward, granted, is a, I believe, a kid. I don't know how old Edward is supposed to be. Um, but Edward is a hacker. And those two are just like, the weirdest of the weird characters on this ship, yeah. in my opinion. And I just love <laughs> them so much. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's, if you had told me, for example, that Firefly was like basically just somebody trying to recreate uh, Cowboy Bebop with real people, I would be like, yep, that scans. Like, it's absolutely yeah. that, you know, sort of aesthetic. It's really interesting. Uh, and I, I definitely have enjoyed watching it, even as I am like, Ugh, I don't love that choice, <laughs> or like rolling my eyes about the problems. It's, it is, it's a really interesting contrast. And it's, so 5,000 years ago, we, we talked about this announcement that they're making a new live-action Cowboy Bebop. Yes. And or at least I think it's live action, right? Yeah, it's it is. Action? It was supposed yeah, to be yeah. live action. Right. And and but it's been delayed. I actually could not find anything more recent than like last June about what was going on with the production. Uh, but John Cho is cast as Spike, which I think is like I'm super on board with that. Um, Mustafa Shakir is playing Jet Black. And then Daniela Pineda, who I don't know, uh, is playing Faye Valentine. And like it's it's super interesting to me to think about like, OK, so how are they going to how are they going to handle some of the, you know, problems of the original? Like, what will they update? What will they choose to keep? But I really, I think, to me, as a very new person to the show, what is so compelling to me about it is this aesthetic. It's like a blues western space noir. Like, those are four things that are really interesting to combine, and that's what makes it so cool. Also, heist. I found five things. Yes. Blues, western, space noir, heist. Like those, that's an amazing combination. Yeah, I am really. I have this problem where I kind of prefer for a live action thing to be turned into an animated thing rather than vice yeah. versa. So, yeah. and this is part of the reason is that I, when I love something that's um, animated, it's often because there's a specific style that speaks to me and Cowboy Bebop definitely it's so unique it's so unique Mm -hmm. in the way it's styled and I think that maybe with the right like the music was a big part of this show I always was really interested in that and the music uh, was actually directed or scored by a woman so it's it's nice to see some of that diversity there too Mm. Um, and so I hope that some of that stuff carries over and I don't know how it will but I think that there is a possibility it can be done right so I'm trying not to poo-poo it right (laughs) away (laughs) it's tough though especially with something that's going to require this big of an effects budget I mean it's space like there's so much going on yeah yeah and I just as a side note like how the thing everybody was concerned about with this adaptation was that they cast a husky instead of a corgi (gasps) as I it was debunked but I (laughs) Like <laughs> laughing, like wow! Everybody's really about like they do not want a husky instead of a corgi. I mean, I just had a legit moment of rage, <laughs> and I've only I'm like a week into being a fan of this show. You're so attached. I, I am. I am attached. Time. I, you can't make. You can't put a husky in that role. No. It has to be a corgi. You know. I actually. But speaking of like weird casting choices, so I was poking around on the internet, and uh, apparent. I haven't gotten to this point yet, but apparently, Faye 
Faye's backstory is that she's originally from Singapore and likely oh. to be Chinese. And they've cast a Latina actress. So there was some like question mm. marks about that in the fandom. Um, I am not going to weigh on that because I am still so new to this and I, I don't even know what to say about that. But but yeah, I guess, you know, they are doing they are certainly attempting to get as broad of a cast, it seems like, for the live action as they can. And like where those diverge from the choices of the original is going to be, you know, potentially sticky in some ways. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle some of that stuff. I I have to believe that they're going to update or discard some of the more problematic elements and definitely maybe awkwardly try to be yeah. more inclusive which sounds right. like is already right. starting to be a sticky issue but um it's it'll be interesting i i am curious about how this is going to happen when it's going to happen if it's going to happen because it it was announced around like when covid struck so yeah like maybe that's delaying things or hopefully it didn't set it aside altogether because now i'm so curious i kind of have to right. see it <laughs> <laughs> you have to see if you need to hate it or not yeah, it's very exactly. important <laughs> very important <laughs> so funny well, I am so glad we went on this journey personally. Yeah. It definitely does make me want to watch some more anime. And it really, I mean, I think I already knew this, but like it really brought home to me that like animated movies are not necessarily PG or, you know, <laughs> meant to be for children, like which is just obviously that's true. But sometimes we you know we forget, especially in Western cultures where so many of the animated movies are for kids. Like that's that's the tradition yeah. in the US anyway. And it's not the tradition elsewhere. So it's nice to be reminded that yeah i agree and it sort of made me want to get into anime again and see what people are doing nowadays versus yeah. what they were doing when i was younger so this was super fun Super fun. Well, thank you all for going on this journey with us. And thanks so many thanks, as always, to our sound editor, D.R. Baker, for making us sound great and cleaning up our flubs. Uh, if you would like more recommendations around all kinds of things, including science fiction and fantasy, you can check out bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have loads. Uh, if you would like to email us, whether you've got feedback or a theme idea or a question or whatever, you can do that at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts, please do take that minute. We love to see the feedback and it helps other sci-fi fantasy nerds to find the show. Speaking of finding things, Sharifa, where can people find you in between shows? They can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.